Hi, and thank you for tuning in to Compound Performance Radio. We're your hosts, Matt Domney and Kyle Dobbs. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoy the show. I am on one today. So my name is... You've been on one since Saturday at 9.13 p.m. (laughs) I know. I mean, I had to send you guys a list of everything I hate because... I heard that's what you ask on the podcast, so I had to be prepared. But uh, my name is Marielle. I'm a physical therapist in Los Angeles, California. And um, yeah, I'm currently practicing at a facility called Monarch Athletic Club. And essentially what we do is just help people guide them through the process of behavior change and adopting healthier behaviors. Which in LA is probably quite an interesting thing to, to try to figure out because it seems like uh, the amount of, of false information around like health and fitness somewhere like that would be quite high. Yeah, it's, it's awful. I mean, the amount of things that I hear from patients that have been told to them either by other medical providers or family, friends, internet, it's just, it makes you want to pull your hair out sometimes. It's insane. Yeah. Ex- I, yeah. I feel like LA would be like the epicenter for, yeah. for a lot of that at that point. And that's, that's a massive generalization for anybody from LA that's listening to this. So no, no, no offense given. I don't think anybody from LA listens to our podcast. That's all, that also, <laughs> she might be the only one. Probably. <laughs> I know. I love you guys. We, we hit, we hit a hundred percent of our LA market with this right with now. This <laughs> <laughs> with our only guest, with our guest is the hundred yeah. percent. Yep. We're done. Yes. So, I mean, one of the things that I always see is, you know, obviously, you know, you mentioned Monarch and I follow Monarch as well. And and there's obviously a very clear, like progressive strength and conditioning field that also go along with the treatments Mm -hmm. and the interventions. And, you know, that, that's, that's what our bias, you know, kind of always likes to see, obviously, but is that part of the reason why you kind of chose? Because it's a fairly new club, correct? Were you? Yeah. Um, sorry to interrupt. I, yeah. yeah, it's basically we have a physician, um, me, head of physical therapy mm-hmm. and a head of performance. And we've kind of started really small, but ended up growing this team to the point where every member who comes in has unlimited access to medicine, physical therapy, strength conditioning, and nutrition counseling all under one roof. Wow. And you don't need to pay more to see the med or PT team, which is absolutely wonderful. So what we're really trying to do is instill the fact that, hey, there are controllable and modifiable variables that we can influence to better improve our health outcomes. And that doesn't include all of the fluff, which is a lot of passive modalities, a lot of regenerative medicine, a lot of just magic pill seekers we're more just like, what can we do routinely and adhere to it long-term that will make us healthy? So even in rehab, it looks a lot like training. It's just keeping people movement. Let's meet physical activity guidelines. Despite having an injury, say your knee's hurting, there's no reason why we can't do upper body or, or conditioning or any of these other modalities. Exercise, it's just, that's not the common theme in medicine and physical therapy. And it's crazy. Kyle, are you going to take that advice for your... Uh... Your knee issue that's going on right now? You can still get some upper body pumps, bro. You can be good. I, I don't want to talk about my knee right now. I'm just getting, I'm just getting old and falling apart. I think is what's happening. Um, 
No, no one on this call is even close to as old as me, so that's that's okay. Um, it's accurate. Yeah, Kyle's ancient. I'm ancient. Um, no, I, I think that's that's kind of another route, you know, especially because that the the prevalence of you know, kind of as you mentioned, the magic pill seekers and, and absolutely, you know, the whether we want to, I mean, we we see it as like biohacking, we see it as like the magic pill, the quick fix, like all of those things, and and both fitness and physical therapy and nutrition. I mean, it's all, yeah. it's, it's, it's anywhere that human beings can try to accomplish more with less work yeah. basically is what it kind of, you know, amounts to. And like, how, so how do you overcome that as a clinician? Because I, I think those, those conversations are difficult. I know as a strength coach, I can only imagine what they, what they sound like as a clinician. What's the hell, sir? I'm going to, He's going to mute for a second. You can just go. <laughs> I love him. He's so cute. Um, it's so what really Bowser does is, when he does this is because somebody's like trying to break into the house and he's just reminding everybody that he is the alpha and Kyle is not. So <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's so funny. So anyway. Um, yeah. Anyways, it's really hard to navigate as a clinician, especially when so many other healthcare providers or resources of information are giving bad information. So I think step one is just, understand where somebody's coming from, where they get their information from, what their beliefs are. That is really critical to our assessment process. So really our assessment process is more of a subjective uh, interaction than any sort of objective testing. We really wanna get to know like, who are you? What are your barriers? Why do you feel stuck? What do you think needs to be done in order to get better? And just how can we help you? Um, So that is always really, really hard when you do have somebody with very strong beliefs who they, they may not be open to hearing something from you, maybe somebody with a higher position of authority, like a physician or um, other healthcare provider has instilled this thought into them. And now it's kind of reframing and rethinking about these beliefs and how do we get them towards their goals. It Are sucks. You- it's hard. Are you starting to find that this is getting more and more difficult with things like social media, physical therapists and people like that who are doing whatever they can to just build more engagement by talking about how X is bad, Y is bad, don't do these things, you can never do this again? Like, are you starting to find that you're starting to fight that information as well? Yeah, it's really, really hard. I mean, I just throw my computer at the wall whenever I hear that. And it's... It's like, why? Why are we creating these barriers to movement? Why do we believe that side bending is bad for your spine or squatting is bad for your knees or deadlifting is bad for your back? It's like, I don't really understand where these narratives are coming from or why people find them to be beneficial. Do you think it has anything to do with the fact that these people also usually sell courses, programs, or books and they are using it as a way of funneling more people into their thing and creating more of a, like a closed loop of just getting more money out of the people that they're engaging with. Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. I mean, we see that a lot. Um, I also think people are taught that in school. I was on the last podcast I was on, we were talking about, you know, what are the pillars of recovery? It's sleep, load management, stress management, and nutrition. And those are not even things that are talked about within our rehab program. Uh, or in our physical therapy school. And even in PT school, unless you studied exercise phys or had experience as a strength and conditioning coach, you don't get that in PT school. So they don't even touch on load management or training or strength and conditioning principles. And it's just infuriating because these are pillars of health and performance. 
that has to be really frustrating too, especially looking at it from like a, from a load management standpoint, especially if you're working with athletes and high performers, right? Because again, that's a scenario where like contextually I can understand not always having that be something that's for, that's in the forefront of education, because if you're dealing with like the general population who's never trained or lifted before, or who's ever done anything, then there's no need for load management. These people are just like their load is managed because they're just inactive all the time. So yeah. literally getting them to do anything is going to be beneficial and having them do like TheraBand external rotations might actually be like a five rep max for them. But if you're starting to deal with somebody who's like, you work with NBA athletes, like load management is going to be essential for their ability to recover and progress out of physical therapy, I would imagine. Yeah. In dealing with most of the people that we see are gen pop, but we do get the occasional NFL, NBA, MLB athlete. And that becomes a different conversation too, because they are looking for a quick fix within our rehab department. And specifically, I remember we had an athlete come in and he ended up leaving because we don't do dry needling, we don't do cupping, we don't do scraping, we don't do any of these commonly practiced things within a professional sports organization. And they were like, this isn't rehab. And I'm like, yeah, it is. It's actually probably going to be more beneficial long term for you if we go about it this way. Um, So you're never going to win all of those cases and arguments, but it's just really frustrating to navigate um those situations at times i want to i want to go back just a little bit now that coach bowser has uh, calmed himself down a little bit. Uh, <laughs> he's scared off the intruders you're good i.e the the ups guy um yeah no because i i think the part that really caught me and part of this is just my my probably psychology bias but even talking about like what your intake form looks like your process mm-hmm. as far as understanding beliefs expectations like there's a very kind of bps model that, that seems to apply to that. And that's something you just don't hear about, right? When we think about, you know, training and physical therapy, we typically look at, you know, movement screens, like mm-hmm. somebody's pulling out a goyometer or something, you know, something like that, right? Where, where we're looking at joint actions and purely looking at a biomechanical model. And we don't, we don't do a lot of talking about the, the individual's actual perception of what their, you know, in your case, what their injury may be, and then how to kind of go about fixing it and what that process looks like. And if you don't line those things up, like you're in for a long haul, I would imagine as well. Uh, So can you go through just a little bit more of what that looks like? Cause I think that's a big differentiator, you know, based on my experience at least. Yeah. I think what's really important to highlight with a lot of our our patients is not reducing the human experience to a single variable. For sure. That is so annoying when somebody comes in and they're like, yeah, my legs are uneven or I have a, my sacrum's out of alignment or I have slight scoliosis and that's why I feel this way. And it's really more about, hey, let's understand the variables that play a role here um, and what those variables might be. And I really like to ask, uh, ask people, you know, what do you think is going on and what have you been told by somebody else? And that kind of helps me understand Uh, what I need to address within that session or series of sessions. But yeah, I think treating the human being as a whole and and what the biopsychosocial model is, it's really addressing that. It's like, all right, from a biological perspective, what's going on? From a psychological perspective, what's going on? From a sociological perspective, what might be influencing the way that this human is interacting with their environment? Um, So it's complicated. It's very nuanced and complex, but I think it's much more important to go 
about it that way rather than what we typically do and, and blame things on posture or alignment, like I've been talking about. Um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't help build self-efficacy when we reduce things to a single variable and try to provide a quick fix for that. And then it doesn't work. And then they're frustrated that it didn't work and they don't believe that physical therapy works. And yeah. Yeah. I've seen with clients of mine, I've seen the, the downward spiral that comes from that very quickly too, because they start realizing that, or they, they believe that their posture or their, their sacrum is the reason why they're in pain. And then it, co- it goes away for a little bit and it comes back because they're starting to do the exact same things again, but they're having a flare or they just have like a bad day or they just, something happened. And they start to eventually start to believe that they're just more and more and more fragile every single time something happens. So they start to avoid movement and training and everything even more, which in my opinion, probably gives them a higher propensity to have those same issues happen again, because they start avoiding the movements that could be strengthening it and stopping them from having that issue in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And I I think another thing that's frustrating is when people think that you need to do just like one thing in order to get better or one one method, one this. And it's like, no, like, stop, please stop. Oh yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's absolutely definitely a uh, thing that that I see as a strength coach with people too, is like, they'll find somebody will find one particular thing and be like, this is all I need to do. And this is what's going to make me feel better. It's like, well, I mean, if we look at the cumulative effect of everything that we've done in your program so far, and we've done, we've dropped your volume here, we've changed this movement here, we picked a better exercise for this one here. Do you really think it's that one particular thing, or is it the fact that we like influenced and touched all of these other variables that have a much larger like stimulus like stimulus effect than this one passive movement? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. People, I think even for the sake of simplicity, we like to reduce things, right? But when, when we do that, it just creates false narratives. And upon those false narratives, we believe in the wrong things that might make us become fixed. Yeah. If that makes sense. And we also hyperfixate on those things when things go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that, that encompassed a lot of the list there. I think we got the, the five exercises to cure X. We, we yeah. Got that. Stop. That, that, that's always one of my favorites too, because, because the, the people that post those always come to it from such a, like a false intellectual, like place, right. Where they're like, Oh, like I'm going to, I'm going to throw some big words out and then, I, but I'm just going to give everybody the same five exercises to fix whatever, whatever problem. Right. And there's no individualization. There's no like even standardization really from that perspective. It's just looking at like, you know, the, the McGill three or whatever it is. Yeah. Right. And, and um, I think that's, that's what always like just crushes me even looking at like assessment perspectives from a biomechanical, you know, standpoint, it's like, no one ever looks at task selection. Right. Yeah. And like coming at from it, from a, from a trainer point of view, it's like, you know, it's like, we've been around a long like we've gone through the, the FMS and the FRA and the, the, the various PRI testing and, and even more things. And they talk about everything, but the actual person that you're yeah. going to be working with. Yeah. Right. And that's like the common theme that you see because you can't really teach that. Right. Yeah. You can't, um, in, in a weekend course. And so it's always, those kind of things always just baffle me, but it seems to be what everybody wants, like simple stories, right. Yeah. They want those simple mm-hmm. narratives where it's like, Oh, I just need these five things and I'm good. And then when it doesn't work, I can just throw those things under a bus and I have a built in excuse to kind of go along with it as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely true. I mean, 
we also use those assessments to say really weird things to people. Like uh, I was assessed by a, a PRI person once and they told me that I would have painful sex in 10 years because of my hip alignment. Oh, in 10 like, years, wow. How can you, like, first of all, what, like, backtrack for a second. Like, please explain that rationale to me and provide me with some resources so I can read up on that. And of course that wasn't the conversation, no. but it's like, what are we doing? Why are we, why are we blaming the human experience on one single thing? It's just, I don't know. It's kind of crazy. And then why are we like forecasting that potential outcome for yeah. 10 years from now? I'm like, sure, I'm single. <laughs> or I was single. Like, what? <laughs> 10 years. Like that yeah. is an insane jump. Well, and it's saying. also just like unprovable. Yeah. Right? You know, it's, it's easy to just throw that out there. Right. It's just like the people that talk about, right. The people that talk about like warmups and lack of warmups and they're like, well, we'll see how you feel in 20 years. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no, we, we, I, I don't know. We will, I guess. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. And, uh, why and, are we like this? And there's no other combination of variables that would ever happen in the next 10 years. No. That would influence these things. It's literally no. just hip alignment or my, or the fact that I'm not static stretching before. I didn't foam roll beforehand. Yeah. It's worse than getting hit by a bus. <laughs> it, it's such a funny industry where we're, you know, so much of it, and I'm speaking more probably to the training side, but I think there's a little bit of crossover, but there's, I, I think there is a lot of, I think a lot of these false narratives are kind of attributed to almost feeling threatened, right? And not like feeling like we always need to validate ourselves in the eyes of our clients and, and, For sure. and, kind, of, and kind of understanding that a lot of the things, you know, that a lot of the things we do, maybe, especially from a training side, aren't that important. Like, like they are kind of arbitrary and they are very self-selective or preference-based or biased. And, and I, I think, you know, it's like, it, it sounds much better if we can attribute it like these catastrophic things to, mm -hmm. to what we're doing. And that, that gives us a little bit more importance and, and, and validation in what we're trying to do and what the money we're trying to charge and the, the, the strategies we're using. But it's for, for a lot of people who think they're really intelligent, we say some absolutely wacky things yeah. like as an industry. It's actually. It's funny. It's very it's funny. Crazy. I know. I mean, I feel like, you know, I've been out of school for five years and I feel like I know absolutely nothing. I'm on that, you know, Valley of despair state. Oh yeah. Um, and it's, I think that's partially due to the fact that once I graduated, I attended all of those continuing education mm -hmm. seminars. I did SFMA, I did PRI, I did FRC, I did everything. And in search of that magic answer mm -hmm. and magic system that will help me organize my thoughts better and treat better. And, and really it just kind of led me astray, I feel like. And um, what I feel like our healthcare system doesn't do well is just preaching these basic principles of what do I need to prioritize in order to be healthy? So that's why I'm really excited about what we're doing at Monarch just because that's what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and it's a team of all different types of people from the field together yeah. speaking that language. That is, that, I mean, that is really cool. And it's definitely something that's going to be, that's, that's necessary. I mean, looking at the fact that all of these continuing education services are businesses, Right. Yeah. And the fact that they are trying to, you are their consumer and they are trying to make money off of you. So they're going to do whatever they can to get you to come back and return and pay them more money. And if that means that they're going to teach you some things that 
make you scare people into doing that thing so you can make more money so you find more value in what they're doing and what they're teaching you so you then give them more money they're going to do that every single time yeah can someone give me money i'm going to start selling pictures of my feet (laughs) (laughs) so you you have a much higher chance of making money off the internet than i think 100 (laughs) percent. i don't know i get ripped apart all the time so it's like like i said um, in my list, being a, a woman in this industry is, is not fun sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I, yeah. That, that's something. Yeah. I mean, almost, I, I would say probably all of our female guests have, have spoken about, like it is, yeah. we are like, I don't know, a couple decades behind as yeah. an industry w- within, within that. I, what, what's that experience? I mean, what are some examples of that even like just, just so again, I think more so for the audience than even anything else that like what that you would have that you, something different would happen for you rather than if you were a male in, in the field or one of your peers or coworkers. I think some of the most hurtful things that have been said to me or about me is just, you know, the typical things like you're fat, you're ugly, you're this, you're that. Um, I've had, that's, that's in a professional setting, right? in a professional setting while I'm treating patients. And that was just ridiculous. But even like the stuff that hurts even more is I've worked with some professional athletes and I was, I'm still kind of fresh out of school, but um, I remember I got a call from this athlete's team being like, we want to send this athlete to a male therapist because we don't like, we started following you on Instagram and, you know, we just want him to work with the male. And I'm like, you know, at least make it sound different. Like, you know, this clinic's closer to his house and they have a modality that you don't have, you know, like at least make it sound different. Don't say it like that. Cause that's inappropriate and unprofessional. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think people are going to say things about you. They're going to try to discredit you no matter what you do or what your values are, or how you're trying to help people. And you just have to be prepared for your response. And that was really hard for me. Um, I did not do a very good job. I, I was super emotional. I took it personally. And I think as I get older, the better I am at caring less. But it's still, it's very hurtful and unprofessional and inappropriate when people come at you like that. I mean, I can't imagine this scenario where if that happened to me at work and I wouldn't take that personally either. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it was pretty bad. Yeah. And it happened multiple times. Like it's not even just one person or, or one instance. It's like the first two years of Monarch being open, I was just under complete bombardment of negative feedback. So. And that's one of those, that's, that's awful because the people that often give that feedback often end up being the same people who are continuously talking about, we need more women in the industry. It's like, yeah. what? So you can just treat them like shit more? <laughs> like, <laughs> so you can just be a dick to more people? Like what's wrong yeah. with you? I'm like, do you enjoy this? Cause I don't like, yeah. it's not fun. It doesn't build self-efficacy. It doesn't empower people to get better. And that's what we're trying to do. Um, so yeah, I think that it can be unfortunately experienced quite frequently within the workplace or within the industry, but it's like you just gotta put your big girl pants on and keep it moving. And um, what's the Victor Frankel uh, quote? It's like a man with a why can get through anyhow. So 
I think that's important to keep into perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, so for any, for any women that are listening to this, are there any resources or anything else that you found useful for this outside of just, you know, personally trying to, I don't know. I, I don't even know how to frame it is because yeah. it's, it's one of those things like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, just, I just be tougher. But at the same time, it's like, ah, you shouldn't have to just be tough. You, that's like, a scenario that should <laughs> never <laughs> exist. Like, <laughs> that's like, that's not, that's not even like advice. Like, yeah. that's just like, um, yeah. It's tough. I mean, I think therapy is a good outlet. I think everybody should experience therapy at least once in their life. Um, but even if that's not something that you can do, having mentors and having colleagues that you really trust and can talk about these issues with is important. Um, I've definitely had a lot of conversations about, you know, when is my breaking point and at what point do I just like become reactive in those situations? And I don't think that's ever a good thing to do, but yeah. um, being able to have some sort of support system and in general, like when we're talking about health, like that is one of our pillars of health is having meaningful social connections. Um, so yeah, that would be, I guess the best way you can go about it. Who knows? I would also imagine that there's a large difference in a guy reaching his breaking point with that situation versus a woman break, reaching her breaking point in that situation where if that were like, if, if it were you and I, right. And we were in the exact same situation and those th things were being said to both of us equally. And I were to say something, they'd be like, Oh, I'll just leave you alone. And we'll stop that now. Whereas, mm -hmm. Oh man, she's just such a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It, it's just like, why is that what you're focusing on? It's like, I, if I'm at work, I'm, I'm trying to build a company that will really help build and empower people to take ownership of their health and provide resources and a support system for that. Versus like you have somebody being like, she's ugly, she's this, she's that. And it's like, that's not what I'm focused on. Yeah. Like, I know I look like a potato at work. I don't need to be told that. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's just like a difference in values and principles and it's really difficult to be around. Yeah. I mean, I also think it's, I, I love it when people, I, and when I say that, I mean, being facetious, but they apply like physical traits to like somebody's ability to like be like to care for them in general. Right. Because it's yeah. like, there's no, nobody would think twice about a male. Like I've had physical therapists that have never been in a weight room in their entire lives. And it was perfectly obvious. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and nobody like, like, I don't want to be a dick, but like, uh, like FMS, like Gray Cook's not exactly like the peak of physical, you know, yeah. specimen, right? It, it, it's just like one of those things where like Ron Haruska doesn't look like he's like squatting <laughs> 500 pounds out there, you know, but like nobody would ever once question their intellect or ability to help somebody based on their physical appearance and what they're able to do from a training perspective. Like that's, that doesn't happen, right? You know, so it's, it is always interesting to me because it's like, that is something that's far more applied to women in, in the industry than it is to men from, from what I've seen just personally. Yeah. I know it's strange, but I feel like, like I said, people are always going to have some sort of misconception about you mm -hmm. and what do you do in that scenario? And I think having a high amount of self-efficacy and self-confidence is important to realize yeah. like, all right, they're a little crazy. Let's leave them alone. Um, and not that, not let that affect me. Yeah. yeah. 
I think that's a. I mean, I, I don't, I've never had to deal with anything like that, so I, I can't. Know. It's like literally too, like the epitome of just like, segway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Move exactly. on to something new. <laughs> yeah. No, you also seem to hate the terms like root cause, uh, the Theragun and like therabody stuff, and like the term optimal. So. Can you talk to us a little bit more about about like let's go let's go to root cause first? I mean, I feel like that's going to be a really good one because that's one that still is persistent. It goes through strength and conditioning fields. Like your whole your squat is not good because you can't root your feet. That's the root cause of all your issues. It's like, meh. yeah, there's no evidence to support any of that, and yeah. it's it's just interesting because people are so honed in on finding that one thing, that one thing that needs to be fixed, kind of similar to what we've been talking mm-hmm. about, when really, what are all of the things that play a role in how we function and, and how we feel and how we perform? So I think that's mostly why I don't like that term root cause, because it's like, very rarely can we reduce something to a single variable. Yeah. Um, I think I don't like the term optimal and recovery if people think it means like doing a bunch of stuff that won't really help them so or it doesn't create any sort of significant change within the way that they feel and perform so i mean i have therabody products i have like um we have the boots we have guns we have these things but the language that we're using behind it is not you need this in order to fix you you need this in order to feel better it's just kind of there like if you want to use it um And I think that is a really important distinction to make because healthcare is already super expensive Mm -hmm. and it's not super affordable or yeah, it's expensive and it's not super accessible. So why are we making people feel like they're broken and they need to spend more money or see more doctors or see and do all of these things that may not necessarily create a significant impact in the way that they feel or function? Um, and I'm type one diabetic, so I understand that completely. I think the, that goes hand in hand with even just understanding that there's so many variables that influence my blood sugar, how I feel and how I function. And like doing one thing isn't gonna fix that too. I mean, that ends up being a perfect example of multiple variables having a tremendous amount of impact over something instead of having like just Oh, your your legs are weak. Let's just get you on the Normatec boots and make then everything's gonna feel better. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like most people don't even train hard enough to need any additional strategies to recover. I mean, like yeah. we talked about, the three pillars that we preach is sleep, load management, and nutrition hydration. Like those are the really the only things that you need. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, it's just a nicety, it's not a necessity. Yeah. Yeah, we, we talk about that a lot as far as, especially like the the more general population, you know. Oh, God. It's like a lot of, well, a lot of these people, and again, it's like people, they train to their availability. They train to what they're able to do, but a, your average client trains two to three times a week, mm-hmm. right? And it's like at that point, if recovery is an issue, like we are talking about a lifestyle-driven issue and not a training-driven issue. So yeah. decreasing training intensity or volume from that perspective is really just digging a deeper hole. Like you're, you're not, you're creating another problem rather than trying to fix something at that point. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we, we actually ran into this at one of the gyms that I was working with back in New York, where we teamed up with Omega wave mm-hmm. and we were running HRV on, on all of our people. And it's like, they're all their scores were terrible all the time. Cause they're New Yorkers, right? You know, these are, <laughs> these are people that live in like one of the most stressful environments in the world. They, 
have high pressure jobs. They have, you know, potentially families and other things. They probably have unique or excessive social activities that are also happening in place. And probably and fairly similar to the demographic. That pro- you work probably with. similar to LA. <laughs> and, and it's like, it's like, yeah, you come in on a Monday morning and you're, you have zero windows of trainability and all reds. Like that's not because you ran a marathon on Sunday. It's because you day drank all day at best and, and probably went beyond that. Right. And it's, so it's like me trying to manage your training isn't actually going to fix anything. It's actually going to positively reward poor lifestyle behaviors more so than anything else. Yeah. You're, you're two hour, two sessions a week that you show up 15 minutes late to are definitely not the issue here. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're not, you're not overtrained. Yeah. Right. You know, that that's probably not the, the we've issue done though. six sets a session. No, <laughs> we're, you're good. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's also crazy too, is I think when people get really obsessive about their wearables and that actually decreases the amount of physical activity that they want yeah. to do yeah. because they think that that's going to add more stress that, um, will make their outcomes worse. And people already don't meet physical activity guidelines. Like mm-hmm. why, why are we becoming so obsessive about data and wearables and all these things when we're not even doing these basic things well? Yeah, that was one of the things that I always got from, I, I had a wearable for, I won't name names, but I had a wearable for a while. That was one of the ones that would give you green, yellow, and red recovery days and tell you whether you could or yeah. couldn't train. And like, I was getting- It rhymes with stoop. Yep. <laughs> and I was getting multiple like red day, like red days in a row. And it's like, you can't train. You can't do this. I'm like, I, I'm going to like, I'm going to train. Like I'm not going to skip a session. Like, what do you think I'm going to do? But everybody else, like I had a bunch of clients who had them when I was working at my general population gym, who would send me it in the, like at like in the morning and be like, I can't come in tonight. And I'd be like, well, what did you do yesterday? Well, I was out it with dinner, like a dinner with some friends until like three in the morning. Okay, cool. You get, come in, you're coming to train. Like I'm not letting you skip because you were just out like drinking bottle, like drinking bottles of wine to the face last night. Like, no, yeah. you're going to do something. Yeah. I'm going to make your session horrible today. It's going to be real hard. <laughs> I remember in college, like I, I played volleyball at the university of Miami mm-hmm. and we would go out to the clubs until like three, 4 AM and then have weights at six. Yeah. And imagine we told our coaches, I mean, we would get in trouble. We didn't, but we'd be like, they would still make us lift. Yeah. It's yeah. not, it's you not probably like, have to sprint first and I, then run, go lift afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went to a, a couple basketball practices in college, probably still drunk and smelling absolutely terrible for the entire, yeah. and just ran stadiums until I puked. And mm-hmm. that's basically what it turned into. And not saying that that's great, but at the same time, I think we need to, we need to do a better job of not instilling fear of movement mm-hmm. and, and just making sure we're meeting the basic requirements to stay healthy yep. and active. Yeah. I mean, and even from a training perspective, like the, and this probably applies to rehab too, like this whole misconception and expectation that you'll never be sore and you'll never be fatigued and you're never going to have a, a lower HRV or, or whatever it is. Right. It's like, I remember talking to, when I worked with Pat, this is the same time who I know, you know, and, like we we were at that point like beta testing the mass products and we were also doing Omega Wave and he's like yeah your scores are gonna suck like running mm-hmm. this program like don't expect them to be good you're training really hard that's just yeah. what it is you know and and that was a huge thing for me because again even going back to like the BPS model right it, understanding that and that and then my expectation because I wasn't super familiar with HRV at that point but then my expectations been like oh I am working hard like mm-hmm. so it, it like I'm not gonna have this 
pristine HRV score. I just need to be able to be aware of it and manage it and make sure that I can train and, and do the things I need to do was huge for me. Right. And it's like, if I would have had a coach have been like, Oh, you can't run this program or you need to take time off or you need to do this. That would have been a completely different experience for me. Yeah. It was like, like today, my bench today was terrible. It was the last bench of my meat prep and like my spinal erectors cramped really freaking hard and it was just awful. But I also pulled like a lifetime PR on Saturday. So it's like that that was probably influencing this. And if I had a, one of those wearables, it would have said, you need to take some time off. You're just I got a going. deadline. I got things I got to do. I can't take time <laughs> off now. We need to talk about your compression, Matt. That's what it is. That. That's what it was. We need, we need to address. We need to address your rib cage. Um, oh, God. I want it as big and broad as possible. Just make it... <laughs> expand it more get it i want it so wide it's flat that's how wide i want my sternal angle to be <laughs> oh my gosh yeah i think i think if there was like one takeaway that's positive on wearables it would be kind of understanding what behaviors might influence things like sleep so if mm -hmm. we have our patients who are drinking 10 drinks in a night and they wake up the next morning. They're like, Oh, I'm at 1%. Like I should probably not do that. That might be positive. But other than that, it's, I don't know if it's something that we need to obsess over long-term. I have unfortunately so rarely seen it correlated to that. When people start and act like an exercise program, it's always training is the first thing. What, what I see with that is people like, Oh, I probably shouldn't wear my watch. Yeah. Go out and drink. <laughs> yeah. I need to actually leave my watch at home when I go out to drink so it doesn't give me a bad score. I lifted earlier today. That's definitely what it was. There's nothing to do with the fact that I drank. I got super drunk last night. It's because yeah, I, right. I did leg extensions yesterday. That's yeah. why. Three sets of 10. It was hard, Kyle. The, the, the sheer <laughs> Those force. are bad for you. You didn't know that? Uh, somebody was on my thread like yesterday, literally like, talking about sheer forces and i was like oh man if we're still talking about leg extensions being bad for your knees we i probably can't have a conversation over ig with you like, yeah, this we're not talking about this anymore yeah like i just Goodbye. i just <laughs> muted his comment and kept on rolling at that point i was like i'm done i can't yeah can't even address it so mm -mm. so out of that i mean i think the other big thing that we were we were kind of looking at for you is even just talking about um like the and this is definitely your industry but like the prevalence of like mris and the expectations and yes stuff, so like because that's okay. uh, we've we've talked with some other practitioners about those as well and yeah the, the whole like you're not your mri kind of movement because there does seem to be a positive movement among at least in our little ecosystem of you yes. know clinicians that we're we follow and but I know as an industry, that's not necessarily what's going on. It's a very small group of people that are trying to get that out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the industry and amongst the public, public perception too, mm. I think most of the people who come to me with an acute episode of low back pain, they're like, I need to go get an image right now. It's like, why though? Well, there, you don't have any of the indicators that indicate maybe they're <laughs> or trauma or progressive neurological signs, any of these things that might warrant that conversation. So I think someone I really, really love on this topic is Michael Ray. Um, okay. And he does a phenomenal job of explaining all of this stuff. But yeah, less than 4% of cases will present like that. So if over 90% of 
Low back pain is what we call nonspecific, meaning there's no underlying pathology that might require advanced medical intervention, then why are we imaging people? Because we know imaging leads to increased healthcare costs, increased days, um, days off work, uh, and just overall more fear avoidance and bad information that makes people not want to even move. Mm -hmm. So I really don't like having these. I mean, I like having these conversations because I think it's like fun to help people, but I think it's really frustrating when people are under this, this preconceived notion that like, this is what I need to do in order to get better. And especially with back pain, we know in six weeks, you're going to start to feel better within three months to a year. Like we're going to see signs of healing within, if you did get an MRI. So I think that that education piece is important and just educating people like let's keep you active in the ways that we can let's um focus on these health promoting behaviors and the variables that we can control in order to make you function and feel better there seems to be just a large difference in the way people treat things like the low back compared to the way people treat things like your elbow or your bicep or your quad like as soon as we get some sort of pain in your lower back we immediately got to get imaged I got to go like, give me a spinal brace. I need to get everything done. I need to have the whole thing thrown at me, but like your knee hurts. It's just like your knee just hurts that day. Mm -hmm. I blame us. I blame medical providers. I blame really bad information on the internet. Like even if you go on some public institutions, websites, it will show the worst advice. It'll say rest, bed rest, ice, heat, and NSAIDs. And that is how you treat an acute episode of low back pain. And we know that actually building self-efficacy, having positive expectations for recovery, moving within tolerance, like those are the things that we should be doing, should be preaching to our patients. Um, yeah, it's really frustrating. And other than that, yeah, I think it's more just like the notions that we've created as healthcare providers and what people take from that. Um, and that's why they think that that's what we need to do in order to heal back pain or I don't know. It's just bad advice and increasing fear and avoidance. Why do you think that it's structured that way with particularly, like like you said, some of these educational bodies, why do you think that that is the way that they're choosing to go as opposed to the way that you're talking about? I don't know. I think that's a good question. Maybe there is some not so good, research out there to support that some low quality research that does support that. I mean, there are papers, if you look in PubMed that highlight alignment influences pain or uh, weaknesses influence pain. And they're really, really low quality, poorly done studies. And we're having more and more research come out to highlight that actually we should be moving. We should be preaching self-efficacy. We should be preaching um, that pain is a normal human experience rather than something that needs to be feared. Uh, have you guys seen the dope sick show? Yes. You know what I'm yeah. That is infuriating to watch mm-hmm. because it's just like, okay, if somebody's in pain, we are going to make that seem like it's really bad and just keep upping the dose. And that's not like, that's not what we need to do. We don't need to tell people that there's something wrong with them or that they need this pill in order to be fixed. Um, I think we need to normalize pain a bit more. I mean, you guys are all athletes. Like, how many days a week do you wake up feeling 100%? 
Oh, the, uh, zero days. Zero I haven't felt 100 percent since I was like 15. So <laughs> zero days of the week. Expectations that like this is normal, but like we should have some more stoicism around it and um, tell people that they're going to be okay. Set positive expectations and just be like, this is life, and that's what we do. Now, I, you did touch on something that I, I kind of want to dig a little bit deeper into because this seems to be something that I've seen frequently on social media that just drives me up a fucking wall. So I can imagine it does the same for you as well. But when you said pain is a normal human experience, mm-hmm. there are people that take pain as a normal human experience and jump it to you are you should always be in pain. And if you're not in pain, you're not a person. I don't think, yeah, that's that's a little weird, but... I think another conversation that we like to have is when should I go see a medical provider when I'm in pain? Mm -hmm. And the way that we like to talk about it is like when you start to notice other KPIs start to decrease or function starts to decrease, like that's a great time to go see a doctor or a physical therapist. Um, Or if you are developing some of these quote unquote red flags for um, maybe advanced medical interventions, like you are so you have so much numbness and tingling down your legs that it's impacting your ability to walk. So any like sensory or motor deficits or um, another indication we'll use to send somebody to get an MRI if they have unexplained weight loss and a history of cancer, or if there's some sort of like trauma involved in the accident. So um, I think, yeah, I think these are all really interesting topics that we don't have amazing answers for, but how can we do a little bit better about helping people increase their health and have health promoting behaviors be a staple in their regimen and not be afraid of everything. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of those things we taught. I've talked with this with several people in training where, you know, we talk about educating clients and educating the public on some of these things and information is only as good as, people's ability to do something with it. And I yeah. think that's where, you know, when we're talking about like MRIs, we're talking about pain, we're talking about things like that, like handing a, a person like a, an MRI with like a bulging disc on it or something like that's not helpful in no. any way, probably for that, that person, right? Like that's like, the, these are things where I think even what you're talking about as far as like making sure that that's given, if it is given, it's at least given within the context of understanding like, okay, I know where this person's at. I know what their understanding of even the human body is, right? Like half these people, they couldn't tell you what connective tissue is regard, let alone the skeletal system or or muscle or whatever. Right. So it's like you handing them like that, that gives them no information except the fact that something's broken in their mind. Mm -hmm. Right. It's in, if it's broken, it's bad or, or whatever. When, it's like, I mean, I'm sure that everybody on this call right now probably has a slip disc or two, some floating around yep. somewhere. Or, probably you know, I probably did another one on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Matt doesn't have a disc that's not slipped. Probably not anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah, and I don't know. We're just telling people they're broken and like they have adhesions or all these uh, things. And it's like, only I can fix you. And yeah, I still, I, mean, I still don't know what an adhesion is. Like, I'm still, wor- <laughs> I'm still working on that one. I haven't, I haven't. Neither does the literature. I mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> funny. I, I mean, don't that- know where that came. Like, that just popped up one day, and it was like, I don't know if it was, uh, 
like uh, the 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 big foam roller company or whatever but it's like it's like it just like <laughs> popped roller. up and yeah nobody big roller it's a big yeah. roller <laughs> it, nobody knows where it came from or what it is we're just like fashion adhesions yeah sure. was, that sounds right yeah sounds sounds yeah. sciencey sounds right like, it's like no uh, i'm gonna don't. throw up yeah yeah i mean it's just it's just those things that like i there ends up being such a large and like, okay, I'm going to use this for my own person, my personal anecdote, my personal experience, right? I'm going to throw out some personal anecdote time. But like, I, I tore my pack 12 weeks ago. Like, I, it's, it's not bad. Like, I, I benched today. I'm going to hit a PR at the meet. It's one of those things where it's like, I know so many people who are so scared of doing things because they aren't scared of that issue. Where it's like, honestly, like, I'm starting to get to the point where like, maybe you should just do it so you know that it's not that bad. And that yeah. you can get through this and that you will be significantly better off on the other side. Cause it's like, it's really not terrible. Yeah, I agree. I think it's also too understanding like, but why though? Like, why do you feel that way? And yeah. where do those thoughts come from? And are they just being told to you by a medical provider? And that's unfortunately what we see a lot, Yeah. but I agree. I think, you know, if, if I hurt myself deadlifting or squatting or, feel sore or a little bit sensitive the following day, I'm actually going to go and move that area. I'm not going to, mm-hmm. I'm not going to baby it. I'm not going to rest it. I'm, I'm going to continue training it. Do I sometimes have to play with the variables like intensity and load and range of motion and all these things? Like maybe, but not always. So I think, yeah, I think putting some context and educating people accordingly is, is really important on that. I mean, that was one of the things that people asked me multiple times, like when I tore my pec. Like they asked me what I did afterwards and how I got back to doing everything normally. I was like, I went in the, to the gym the next day and I deadlifted, and then I was like, I feel warm, so let me go try to bench. And then I started yeah. benching the bar literally 24 hours after I tore my pec. And I was like, it's not, it's mm-hmm. fine. It hurts. It's uncomfortable, but it's not. It's not an issue. Like I can still do it with no pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to be less afraid and less avoidant in my opinion. Basically I could uh, out bench press Matt for like two weeks. It was a good two weeks fan of your life. I I talked a lot of shit. It was the only time that I've seen Kyle like send me bench videos. He's like, I benched more than you today. Oh yeah. All right, cool man. I was like sweet 65 pound bench. That's awesome. (laughs) It was good. So I got a lot of work to do. That that was my highlight. I was like, uh, now he's back to benching twice as much as me. <laughs> I am no longer sending videos anywhere. It, it was point. fun. He was talking a whole lot of crap. It yes. was a it was a good time. I knew I had a limited window. And yeah, I, I tried to take advantage of it. That was the point. best too, because like that week, the following week, we went to to London to present, and we were doing a little workout in the hotel in the hotel gym, and there was one of the other presenters there, and Kyle's doing like incline dumbbell press with like I think it was like. I don't know, know, like 60s or 70s. And I was doing it with like 40s. And one of the presenters is like, you're like way bigger than him. Why are you doing so much less? And I was like, I hurt myself, okay? (laughs) It's like, I'm just stronger than him. I hurt myself. I was like, I'm just stronger than him. It's it's okay. It's okay. He's getting used to it. (laughs) That's amazing. I, I think we actually covered... The whole podcast almost, was just the question. Almost everything on the <laughs> list. This is yeah. 
It's pretty good. We pretty and we don't good. even have so like let's talk about something like more positive, right? Because usually the way that we go with this is we start we, talking we about start positive and then po- we go yeah go negative. So now we started negative. Let's try to go the other direction. So like, what are some of the things that you you like seeing, and what are the like what are some of the, the the changes that you've been seeing in the industry that you really are enjoying and that you want to see more of? Yikes! Well, I oh so I'll nothing. Well, no, no, no. no. <laughs> Um, what's really, really cool about the model at Monarch is Mm. there is no time constraint. So if you're working in an insurance-based clinic, you may only have 12 visits to Mm. rehab an ACL repair or reconstruction. So like, what are you going to do in 12 visits? That's not enough time. And usually, yeah, you only have 10 to 15 minutes with a patient and that's not even enough time to have a conversation with them, let alone treat them. So I think what I really, really like about Monarch and what makes me excited is the fact that I can see a patient every day for an hour if I want to. Do we really preach that that's necessary? No, we want to build self-efficacy and independence. Um, But if I have somebody who is in need of more hand-holding at the beginning or more training interventions, we're not limited by insurance. And we've had members who have been with us since day one of opening uh, oh, wow. We've been over a little more than two years, so it's been really cool to see the health changes that they've made, the progress that they've made. Um, and also what's really unique about our model is every member who joins, they come in, they meet with our medical team, they do lab work, they meet with our rehab team. We discuss beliefs, barriers, injury history. We do like a brief objective assessment but it's really just kind of like if there are sensitivities, we might take them through some orthopedic tests. And then they have a two-day movement assessment, which we're looking at just basic movement competency, squat, um, squat hinge, push, pull, carry, VO2 max. And once we're done with that, we all sit down as a team being like, what does this person need? How are we going to get there to their goals? What do we need to consider um, from a health orthopedic point of view and movement point of view? So I think that's really cool and exciting. And I think it's really cool and exciting to see other physical therapists who are recognizing that strength and conditioning is vital and it's important. And rather than ripping each other apart, how do we work better together? So I do see some of that. I think that's positive. That's good. Um, But yeah, it is kind of hard, especially with like social media and, everything to be optimistic at times the yeah. title of our podcast kyle the future is bleak that's it <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are doomed. the future is bleak or alternatively i hate everything yeah. <laughs> yes, I two like pi- that that's our two titles but i do really want, like one of the things that you said about the the monarchs monarchs process in the very beginning where you're looking at beliefs and barriers as the first two things yeah. that you guys are discussing with people the very first two things are like you're, you're looking at that person's expectations and trying to figure out what is stopping them from doing whatever they're doing and what they currently believe. And I think that is highly underrated in anything else that we're looking at doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that is more important than just looking at movement itself. Sometimes. For sure. Yeah. I think that's the biggest barrier that we have is helping people overcome their barriers and just belief systems. And Unfortunately, we're just inundated with bad information, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The, I feel like it kind of 
is it, it's not as prevalent as it was a few years ago, or maybe I'm just not talking to the same people, which also might, it's also very possible that that also might be possible, but the whole like biomechanics versus load management versus, you know, BPS or whatever, when, when, you know, like we know that biomechanics are very much informed by all of these other things, right. And impacted by all of these other things, like in every, like everyone who makes that argument, like it's like, you can, ask them it's like okay so you don't think that load influences movement or you don't think occlusion or fatigue influences movement or you don't think self-confidence in a movement like influences that movement and the capacity to perform that movement right yeah and it's like we all know those things do so it's like why are we just looking at like passive movement models right it doesn't it doesn't make any sense you know and i think that's like you said that's where most people start right and that's like their primary focus and they don't talk about any of these other things and at that point it's like like how do you actually progress somebody from a passive movement into a loaded movement if you don't understand load management self-efficacy and progress and like progressive measures or strategies Um, yeah so it's it's interesting i i want to yeah that might that that whole conversation might have decreased or maybe i just like muted a whole bunch of people on my instagram i I think you just muted a whole bunch of people Kyle. (laughs) i'm gonna be honest with you (laughs) that might have been what it was i still get dm'd and sent a lot of those things very frequently but people like stop it please just don't do this to me anymore (laughs) i I run those through coach bowser now he's my yeah oh my gosh he's so cute he's 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 sleeping now. He's the he's the one he's the one that he deals with all of your things. He does. He he handles all of that on, <laughs> on my side. He's my assistant. Um, no, I, I think that's awesome. Um, we got a lot of stuff. I feel. I think so too. That. Yeah. Um, don't want to take up. Yeah, we we're going on an hour. Good. Um, yeah. So, where can everybody find you? So, obviously, you're you've got a live location. You've got social media. Do you do you perform any remote services or is everything in person? Right now, everything's in person. We're really close to rolling out our virtual platform, which mm-hmm. will include, you know, medicine, physical therapy, strength and conditioning, nutrition counseling. That's awesome. Um, that will be live probably by the end of this year. And yeah, I think that's exciting because we'll be able to reach more people who either aren't local or um, aren't able to afford like the in-person services, which is important. But I'd say I'm most live on social media. So Instagram at Marielle.dpt or Monarch Clubs. Those are places you can find me. And if you're in West Hollywood, come see us. We are opening our second location in Brentwood, hopefully this fall. Awesome. And I'm really excited about that. Congrats. That's awesome. Congratulations. All right. Yeah, I need well, to hire PTs. So if you know any good ones. Okay. Help. Yeah. <laughs> if you're it's a, a call to action. LA, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you can go hate everything with a bleak yes, future. Please. Yes. <laughs> If you like to lift and eat, come find me. Yeah, that's that's a that's going to be a hundred percent of our demographic. That's you're gonna a, yes, them, you're going to get flooded. That that's an easy sell. <laughs> that's with, a very our, easy sell with our with our, uh, our listenership. I guess is what you call it. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on. We definitely enjoyed it, and I think everybody else will too. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was awesome. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for tuning in to Compound Performance Radio. If you liked this episode, please be sure to like, share, subscribe, and drop us a review. We'll see you next time.